0: (gutters) I'll give you one more chance, just you did that again. (laughs) Don't (laughs) do that again. Listen, Mr. Sayloon,
1: if you hit Bottle, you hit me. Ow, he hit me! He hit me, Bottle.
0: You hit him again.
2: Hey coach, you better get out of here before you get killed! (laughs)
1: Which asks those great what-ifs of the Goons universe, such as what if Boffins had developed a preventative drug to stop the spread of Duck's disease? And would they have called it a quaxine? Joining me today is Tilt Arisa, a co-presenter or joint host of two very long-running podcasts, very close to my heart, uh, The Sitcom Club and Jaffa Cakes for Proust. Hello, Tilt.
2: Hello, Tyler.
1: Thank you very much for joining me.
2: Um, okay. That's... Am I not getting paid for this?
1: <laughs> no!
2: I don't... I, oh, I had an invoice drawn up and everything.
1: <laughs> the, the two podcasts that I chiefly know you for uh, as I said before, the the sitcom club, uh, which you present with your colleague Gary, uh, and that's very much focused on, I suppose you'd say, British sitcoms of a certain vintage.
2: Uh, yes, uh, the- I think we have a cutoff point of about nineteen ninety eight, mm-hmm. but we don't. We're not doctrinaire about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we did at one point do a thing about twenty first century sitcoms from the US. So.
1: Oh, yes, you did. Yes, yeah. But you've done, you know, you've done the crowd pleases. You've done the likes of The Likely Lads, Man About the House, Not On Your Nelly,
2: Bootle saddles.
1: Bootle saddles. Uh, A few oddities like uh, Come Back Mrs. Noah and the truly dreadful Honey for Tea with Felicity Kendall.
2: I don't like saying things like truly I don't like doing massive write-offs of things. But yes, um, Honey for Tea did not work. No. Uh, And there are reasons for that but I, I try not to be too dismissive even of really bad things I, I guess in some ways I don't want to puff myself up too much but I'd like to think that on sitcom club we're a bit of an antidote from that sort of 90s postmodern tendency of just looking at old things and going <laughs> oh dear what's <laughs> happening here? It was yeah there's a reason it's like, you know wobbly sets well there's a reason sets wobbled there's a reason they didn't spend more money on such and such. Sorry, I'm no, defending no. honey for tea. What, what's wrong with me?
1: No, that's that's the thing. You don't slag off. You don't. The the, the purpose of the sitcom club is not to um, is not to just look at something and say, "Oh God, that's so old and rubbish." Yes. Um. So many podcasts are just basically a group of friends sitting around getting drunk. You know, taking the Mick out of old films or uh, the, the example I always cite uh, a podcast with so-called film buffs in which uh, one of them thought that Robert Redford was in Gone with the Wind. <laughs> yeah. And it was at that point, it was, you know, iPhone against the wall, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Both the sitcom club and also Jaffa Cakes for Proust, which uh, again, you, you, you present with with Gary uh, that's there's a lovely phrase that you've used to describe uh, Jeff Cakes, which is um, pre decimalized pop culture. I think is that right? I don't remember saying that. Well, maybe someone else. We, but we that...
2: generally talk about sort of looking for lost Britain. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, that Jeff Cakes Proust came about because we kept hitting fascinating topics in the Sitcom Club that weren't really sitcom related. Or we need, you know, th- there'd be a thought that would start in the sitcom club, but we'd kind of need to go beyond sitcom.
1: Yes. But there's some great, you've done some great examinations of, of you know, the likes of uh, the history of breakfast television, British television itself, in terms of its um, early development. And also things like, you've looked at, what, Bruce Forsyth's Big Night Out, early Benny Hill you know the Beatles you've also of interest to listeners to this podcast you've covered the Sandwich Man the Benteen film from was it it 66?
2: Yes it is yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, We found a trilogy that nobody knew was a trilogy. (laughs) The Sergeant (laughs) Brown trilogy.
1: (laughs) We did yes yeah I was involved in that one the David Lodge. Well that was your idea you said Mm. we should
2: do a thing about films in which David Lodge plays a policeman and we (laughs) <laughs> we found three where he's playing a sergeant, and only one of the films gives him a name. So it's like, well, I, can, I think we can pretty much say that it's definitely the same policeman every time.
1: Yeah. Yes, the moustache occasionally is shorter or longer, depending on the the period of the film. Uh, and and also, you've looked at, you've done a few Doctor Who as well.
2: Well, uh, yes, and we <laughs> you, you, me, and Gary are meant to be doing more, and just
1: yeah,
2: I, I feel I have to explain that hasn't been. Anything, any real activity from this side of uh, the pod world uh, just because ver- various things. But basically, Gary and I are never not busy or well at the same time. Mm-hmm. Recently, there's just been upheavals. Everything started to go wrong when they rewired the house here. So we've we've been having little very, very brief comebacks. We do have a project that we're looking... To launch towards the end of this year, and Gary and I are going to tackle "Are You Being Served" series by series, um, and that's also partially because we heard a very, very good podcast called "That Does Suit Madam," mm. which two Americans look at "Are You Being Served," and it's like, well, we can we there's plenty of room for people who are drenched in British culture like Gary and I, so. That's that's something that's coming. We're going to look at uh, are you being served? But unfortunately, we're not going to go with my preferred title, which which is Pussy Riot. <laughs> Gary said it just might, you know, mm. might show, might look a bit weird <laughs> on iTunes. Yeah. So mm.
1: <laughs> yeah, you'd be getting the wrong sort of downloads. Yeah. Tell now, uh, you you live, you're based in Orange County, California. I am. Yes. But. Eagle Air listeners may have picked up on the fact that you don't sound like one of the Americans. Um, You're originally, well, you can take the lad out of Bradford, but you can't take Bradford out of the lad, is is, is what they say.
2: And and people tried Mm -hmm. Uh, to beat it out of me. Sorry. The re- the reason I'm such a bore about Bradford is Bradford needs, <laughs> needs the help. It needs boosting. It just seems like every few years somebody's written a new article about what a hellhole Bradford is. And all the people in Bradford go, yep. So I could go on. But, ah, go on. Speaking of the go on show. Yeah, great link. Ah, Pebble Millworthy, yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, so, yeah, obviously, as people have picked up, you and I have known each other for quite a while. And we, we often talk about British popular culture, um, as you say, I suppose, the cut of point of the late 90s. And we often watch old telly, old films, uh, listen to albums and generally have a natter about the, the sort of stuff that I guess the likes of talking pictures TV would, would feel at home with.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um,
1: and and uh, you know over the years over the you know we've we've spoken about the goons we've touched on the goons we've never sat down i don't think you and i and actually had a, an in-depth conversation about the goons um, well uh,
2: in the last few months um i've deliberately put off that
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> possibility so that we could do it properly now
1: one of the things that i i always you you you've always sort of talked about um, the subject of today's episode, the Series 9 episode, Queen Anne's Reign. You've always mentioned that one as, as a, a, a goon show which has resonated with you.
2: It might be the first one I properly listened to. Because I know you sometimes start with, the, you know, when did you first become aware of the goons? And to yeah. me, that's a question like, when did you first become aware of the sky? <laughs> I I don't remember this moment where I found out there was this thing from the Goon Show. I just remember it was a thing, it was everywhere. It was it was just you know people. It was just something adults would mention. I was it was interesting uh, a while ago. I I checked mm. when Peter Sellers died and found out Peter Sellers died before John Lennon. He did, yeah. Because I remember John Lennon dying. But mm. I was young enough that I didn't know who he was.
0: Mm.
2: But I remember Peter Sellers dying, and I remember being really shocked. I was a small child, and probably Inspector Cluso was something. The thing I remember is I think maybe Yorkshire television showed a tribute. I mean, this, this, the memory cheats, I could be wrong. But I remember there being like a program slide showing Inspector Coluso. And saying of mm-hmm. it in, in, in honor of uh, Peter Sellers who died recently. And my mom going, it was all those wives, that's why he <laughs> died.
1: Was your was your dad a fan particularly?
2: As far as I can tell, yes, it, it certainly chimed with his sense of humor. It wasn't something like you know we didn't have any of the albums. I re- we only had one comedy album when I was growing up, and that was the Blood Donor. Oh yeah, Tony mm-hmm. Hancock. And my dad bought that for my mom for one of her birthdays, and she was not pleased. She that- said, "I don't like Tony Hancock." It's
0: like, mm. but
2: we always sit together and watch it. See, yeah, yeah, I watch it because you're watching it. I don't watch it because I like it. <laughs> <laughs> At some point, there must have been some early 80s repeats of The Goons. Or maybe The Goons were just never not on. But I remember ending up with three episodes that I knew really, really well. And that was Queen Anne's Reign, The moon Show, and is it Personal Narrative?
0: Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Um. I must have had one of those three-sided cassettes.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I, I, I constantly just listening to those again and again. I do remember sitting down and listening to 1985, but not taping it. Mm. And part of it was trying to work out which goon was doing which voice, including trying to work out which goon was doing the voice of Wallace Greenslade's Demon Talker, because <laughs> obviously that's a character. Wallace Greenslade is a great comedy name. It, can't be a real person
1: <laughs> i always thought when i first started listening to the greens i always assumed wallace greenslade was sellers
2: yes yeah it's it's his kind of more straightforward smooth kind of thing mm-hmm. um i really like wallace greenslade i think he he works with them so well
1: well yeah and from from what i understand he he was there wasn't a lot to him um what you saw was what you got from Bill Greenslade. And he was, you know, he was game for a laugh. He was up for anything. Whereas Andrew Timothy, his predecessor, was a lot more sort of, um, I think, prim and proper and a bit more stuffed shirt and unwilling to kind of, you know, throw himself into the proceedings.
2: The only footage I'm aware of in which you can see Wallace Greenslade, because he does appear in silhouette in the film This is the BBC, the only footage I'm aware of in which you can see him is kind of like a predecessor to a Christmas tape. Uh, which oh, is yes. The Alexandra Palace have some sort of, uh, the news team put some like Christmas film together and yeah. he's reading out a fake news bulletin. That's the only thing I've ever seen of Wallace Greenslade in, in motion.
0: Uh,
1: for the benefit of the listener, will you just explain what the what Christmas tapes are?
2: people are listening to this who don't know what Christmas tapes Mm, are. mm, Well, okay. Um, In in the good old days of uh, heavily unionized television, and when television was made in television factories, uh, particular departments, in this case the VT department, would keep outtakes and also do rather elaborate shows that were only for the internal viewing of... I think I don't think it was just the VT department. I think, I think in the BBC case, there was like a like one machine might play it out on Christmas Day, and if you're in a you know, if you're in somewhere in the building, I could be wrong. If anybody can can correct this, there must be a book about these already. Mm. Uh, but I have a feeling it was kind of like you know, if you were, if you were somewhere in television center uh you were near a monitor, you could click, 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 click right there. There's there's today's v- there's there's this year's VT tip. So it was V T tips were a kind of a program made by the staff for the staff. They're very rude. Um some of them are so rude they're not funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um but yeah. a couple the, the the two most celebrated ones White Powder Christmas and Good King Memorex catch that feel of the imperial phase BBC television, where everything is happening in television centre. Every studio has activity. And then there were not even a new thing then. The the news departments, which used to be based in Alexandra Palace, made little films, and one of them is anchored by Wallace Greenslade.
1: It was the infamous clip of Zippy from Rainbow talking about his twanger.
2: Yes, that's a Thames Television Christmas tape. ITV used to, I think, have a competition. The ITV Christmas tapes were like ten minutes long, but all the different franchise holders would submit one, and everybody, you know, everybody would watch them, and then I think one would be declared the best. So,
1: right, right, right. Okay, uh, so. Just to get on to this particular episode, so Queen Anne's Reign, it's series nine, episode eight, went out in December nineteen fifty-eight, and as with all goon shows of this period, uh, we're sort of nearing the nearing the end, um, and it's extremely—I describe it as as extremely busy. There's a hell of a lot going on, but very it's little dense. that can be described. Yes, it's and dense. a
2: lot of different characters. Mm. I mean, the first we hear of Sellers, he's playing a version of himself. And we have Milligan doing the Adolphus Spriggs voice, yes. but being sort of Sellers' private and minstrel. It sounds like Peter Sellers. Forward him with his high fire lawnmower.
0: It records as it cuts, and that is for me. Come, <laughs> now my applause, please. <laughs> Getting known, it's quite obvious, yeah. <laughs> Minstrel, sing that for me. <laughs> I'm getting known.
2: How much does he pay you for that? A pretty feel
0: of his Rolls Royce, <laughs> <laughs> I And <find> a fine master, <laughs> oh, master. He had to go. I shot him for nothing, you
1: know. Oh, you're a kind man. I think it's time we had to go at the groom uh, I'm not going we're not gonna go through scene by scene, line by line, any of that. But the sky is leaking over the village of Upper Dicker. And folk are blaming it on Queen reign.
2: Yes. Things happen. That's the mm. plot.
1: Mm. <laughs>
0: um,
2: and things happen immediately. So we, we kind of even the introduction before we actually get to the episode itself seems to be longer than usual. There's just more things and they're completely inexplicable to me. They're very perpendicular. Um, there's certain forms of comedy. Yeah, certain comedy you can see, I can see how that works and I, I know why that works and that's very good. And there's something where it's like, well, that's, that's, you know, I would never have thought of that. And then there's certain things like, where did that come from? What? Are, I can, I feel dazed. Um, Peter says, "I'm getting known," and then he gets Spriggs to sing the words, "I'm getting known," and then he shoots him. Um, and I can, I can hear a couple of edits as well in that. So, <laughs> who knows what was going on? It, it, the reason of of the three, the reason I picked this one is that it's it's possibly the least coherent, but there's there's a feeling that all the goons are in a state of flow. Yes, They're all absolutely confident that what that they they can say and do anything. And this was another thing as a, as a child, I wasn't sure how much of it was written down. Mm-hmm. Certain mm-hmm. bits just, and it probably was more scripted than it sounds, but it just almost felt like they just got got around, got, you know, just met up five minutes before and said, uh, it's raining, rain, queen ends, rain, <laughs> it's, right, okay, let's go.
1: Yeah, and the thing is, the, the audience clearly loving it. There's, there's no sense that the audience is bewildered or, you know, not hanging on their every word. I think there's a lot of, by this point in the, in the goon's career, um... The audience warmth and the 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 goodwill from the audience is palpable, isn't it?
2: Yes, um, I don't know where it was. Gary sometimes quotes Charlie Hickson, who would said something about he wishes he wishes he could see what Mork and Wise would have been like after two hundred years, so that everything they're doing it only makes sense because it's them. <laughs> yeah, <coughs> Arsenal. i mean that's already kind of (laughs) yeah for you know peter cushing asking for his money just just getting to the point and and this almost feels like the the goons have got to that point in seven years Mm -hmm. um to the extent that, uh, that there's one bit that sticks out is that the audience don't laugh at the joke um there seems to be more hilarity just that the at the fallout of so, the you know this. Do you have a spare room? Yes, it's in the spare room. I'll put my spare body in it. I only wear this one for work. Nobody laughs at that, and but then like Milligan's in the background is you've had a hard day, <laughs> and, and everybody's more amused that the goons are amused.
1: Yeah, you often talk about the the sound of jokes, don't you? You've said to me. Well, about... there
2: is this thing I did. <laughs> um. One of the uh, Christmas Nights with the Stars shows uh, from 1972 um, was uh, presented by the two Ronnies. And I think only the two Ronnies bits are, are on DVD. And what I did was I... They do a desk routine at the beginning, a desk routine at the end, typical two Ronnies. Mm. And what I did was I took up all the setups from the beginning and all the punchlines from the end and the rhythm is is not disturbed it's just what they're saying doesn't make any sense
0: the police were victims of a hoax today it happened on the A1 about 2 miles from 3 bridges at 4 o'clock when Sir Rafe Richardson walked out after Mrs. Mills had refused to take her clothes off.
2: <laughs> in the Commons yesterday, Mr. Willie Hamilton held up a piece of mistletoe and said the price was a disgrace. People who purchase the product are warned not to sit too close to the fire or they may break out in biscuits.
0: Um,
2: and I think having seen Ken Dodd live a, f- a few times,
0: mm-hmm.
2: or maybe it was just once, and I just kept taking breaks. I don't know. I'm, on some level, I'm probably still there.
1: Mm. Uh, Ken, Ken Dodd,
2: infamous. Uh, uh, he, he played Bradford Alambra and the theater manager threw the keys onto the stage and said, lock up when you've done. <laughs> I think that's people sort of talk about how Ken Dodd had to keep going until he got the audience to a certain pitch. And I think maybe that was it. Yeah, Maybe he was trying to look at that point where anything he said would be funny. Mm. Um but in this the, go- the goons have just it's not they're not at that stage in the night that that stage in their careers that anything they say is hilarious to the audience and to themselves yes um and there're just things that during the discussion about i think it's the discussion about elephant traps min just goes I <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why.
1: And, the, and the, the, the thing that cracks me up the most, I think, in the episode, and it's not a joke at all, it's just... The, it's, Henry says, come away from the window, men.
0: Supposing people saw you counting rain on a Sunday, what would they say? <laughs> They'd say... Oh! <laughs> <laughs>
2: I guess the line is, where do elephants hide? Where do elephants hide, buddy? I've never seen yeah. But Min does not say buddy. Min makes a noise like a ruler that's been held over a desk and twanged Min. and then pulled <laughs> further along. <laughs>
1: Where do elephants hide, buddy? <laughs>
0: well, I don't know, saxophone Min.
1: And also, it's like Eccles comes in, and he's not... Crun doesn't refer to him as Eccles, it's Master Muckle yes. at one point. And, it's and, mad mad Dan. Um, um
2: and and Cron is is Eccles uncle for this one.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh and William seems to be Min's son because he keeps he refers to her as Ma. Uh, um, mm-hmm. yeah, William turns up. There's just so many characters being thrown at us.
0: Yeah.
2: Um and another great little thing that's just like a funny sound is when Ned gets shot. Yes. I, I, it's like a fraction of a second just from him introducing himself, being shot and screaming. <laughs> it's I, I, me, I, I forgot, I meant to measure how long that takes. But it's like a fraction of a second. It's just like a burst of sonic comedy. Come in. Good evening.
1: I've said this before, as a as a youth, as an idealistic youth. When I was first listening to these shows, I was, I was much more partial to, I guess, Blue Bottle and Eccles. But it's the late period Moriarty that I really <laughs> Moriarty and Grip Pipe that I really, really love. You know, re-listening to these now, as a as a bitter, twisted forty-seven-year-old, I can I can better identify with. you Yeah, know, Moriarty's just like this. Defiled, shop soiled wretch. (laughs) And it's, it's, there's the point where Moriarty's, he's talking to the members of parliament.
2: Right. Before we got to, before we talk about members of parliament, uh, the House of Parliament, again, right. I'm just, it just keeps hitting me how, how many different goon things get thrown in this. We get the appearance of Hearn. Yes. But that piece of music, (laughs) the, the Archer's theme, Wow, I, I, I put that in the music, just the thing of, it's the Archer's theme, but it sounds like the power's been cut, and it's rude.
0: <laughs>
2: um, and then, just that, again, one of those, oh, just yeah. noises. Yeah, I have, in my time, come across people with lots of theories about comedy. Um... And something like this seems to prove that none of them are true. Comedy's always about, you know comedy's about irony, comedy's about suffering. Uh you know, comedy when somebody else suffers. Yeah. Uh com you know, comedy's about taking our normal behaviors and just turning them upside down. What what principle is expressed by and pl- play the clip now? Mm-hmm. What what principle? What rule of comedy is, is is embodied by that? Because that's hell. That's one of the funniest things I've heard. But I don't know why. I, I I mean, because part of it is you know that's it's a familiar piece of music. Because the Goon Show is much more. I, I'm not one of those people. You know, I don't want to like drag down uh, the principles. Uh, you know, any sort of iconic. It is the three of them, sometimes the four of them, but it is also Max Geltrey, of course, appears in this episode, with a speaking yes. part. It mm-hmm. is Ray Ellington. It is Angela Morley. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Wallace Greenslade, and all of them seem to get some demonstration of why they are important to the Goon Show. Uh, And and the goons seem to be doing almost every voice in their armory. Uh, There's even quite a few non-seagoon seacums. He seems to have a few more. Just very brief lines, but like you know, he's talking out the back of his head, and he 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 does a few.
1: Yeah, he does. He does the the voice that he uses for old Uncle Oscar, who's a very occasional character. As in this episode, he's the speaker of the house, Mm. who. (laughs) <laughs> very funny piece where he's he kind of starts sort of muttering something and then just sort of abandons it and I... the prime minister says you choose your words well sir
2: yes. the, and there's that um, that that slightly uh anticipating the way Prince Charles spoke that Milligan character is yes. what do we <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I guess another reason <laughs> you and I are talking about this show is if we can go s- serious. Um, I don't have great mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in the last few years I got diagnosed with chronic severe depressive disorder, but it had been undiagnosed for decades and caused all sorts of damage to my brain. Um, And I had been, you know, it's... I I don't know when I first heard the goons, but uh, I came to recognise that I'd actually been having bouts of depression since childhood. It's weird. It shouldn't have happened. I I think it might have just been a physical injury that just caused my... I landed on my head. Mm -hmm. Uh caused my brain to have difficulty processing serotonin. And I just remember like playing just playing jet set Willy and just suddenly this horrific cloud of inexplicable gloom just got me. It was a very weird feeling. Mm-hmm. Um and of course Milligan was Milligan bipolar?
0: Yeah. Lucky yeah.
2: swine. I'm mm-hmm. unipolar. <laughs> yeah. Um I have had strange upswings, but there there weren't manic episodes. There there were. I think there's been times when my sort of nervous system gets flooded with serotonin and can't handle it, and it's best expressed by an episode of The Simpsons where Ralph Wigan goes, "I'm happy
1: and angry." <laughs> yes, yeah.
2: <laughs> um, and so in some ways, the Goon Show kind of fits in with. Sometimes the world can seem completely arbitrary and and make no more sense than the Archer's theme slowing down and being followed by an ooh. And I'm not comparing myself to Spike Milligan, but I'm wondering if he's expressing something similar to what I sometimes... Exp- so sometimes... Um... I, it's another, and again, I was like a child. I was having what I call dizzy spells. But they were actually dissociative episodes. So sometimes the the world just becomes disconnected. And... Pisto makes about as much sense as Hello, how are you?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: In the show, it's all safe. A, a bit like how it's been observed that there are quite a number of... Po- Points in the Goon show where somebody's blown up but not killed? Or if they are killed, they get to complete well mainly mainly blue bottle. And that's almost Milligan working through um was it Monte Cassino that he was at yes. that he got blown. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's got and it, so again, it's like the arbitrary world, but it's it's a safe arbitrary world.
1: Mm. It's yeah, it's the it's the it's the characters playing parts, and at the end, sort of waving at the audience, like the cast of the Railway Children,
2: almost. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, so, so sometimes in 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 a milder dissociative episode, you might hear a voice not not hearing voices, you know. So you might mm. hear somebody say something. Hmm. Who's who the hell said? That? And then it's like, oh, it was me. Well, that's almost like that's something you could almost imagine being worked into a goon gag. Yep. Not being able to recognize your own speech when you're doing it. Yeah. So that's that's that segment. <laughs> <laughs> uh if you've been affected By any of the issues raised, I understand that you can shout out of a window; it won't do any good. But what does?
1: (laughs) I always used to think, because this is obviously this is Spike writing on his own. He's got no, you know, Larry Stevens or anyone else helping him. And I always wondered, you know, how much of these series nine and series ten shows. You know, he was sat at home, sort of chewing the end of a pencil. How much was he sort of agonising over? Yeah, including the archers theme tune, Mm. or how much was it just him just throwing down the first thing that came into his head, and just because of the sheer sort of pace of the show, it it all kind of worked.
2: Given given the, the state of the performance, the other two seem to be. Completely with him. Well, everybody seems to be completely with him. Yeah. A, a little something mm. that I haven't quite fully developed is some parts of the Goon Show are quite American. Mm-hmm. Now, if I can break kayfabe for a moment, last night, you, me, Gary, and Andrew uh, listened to this episode. We did. And Andrew observed that it was very Marx Brothers. And. You, know, you have my word as a scoundrel being very grouchy or line. Does the Marx Brothers have you ever heard uh, Jerry Colonna? No. He did the voice of the Mad March Hare in Alice in Wonderland, the Disney Alice in Wonderland. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's got a kind. He he. I mean, one of his things actually. Yeah. W- one of his things, I think, was doing this huge sort of bell or like a siren, which you can probably hear in in Seacombe. Mm -hmm. um but sometimes he spoke in this strangulated version and there's a version of i think it's down by the old mill stream he comes out with this line in the middle of it i thought for a moment it was me he's almost (laughs) sprigsing
1: right yes
2: i can't do the voice right the air's too dry here (laughs) I, first, I took a look around
1: met, and, and who do you think, you think I, I found? You. I thought for a moment it was me.
2: Sometimes Ray Ellington is doing Eddie Rochester Anderson.
1: Yeah, I was listening. To, actually, funny enough, I was listening to Ellington being interviewed earlier today, and it would have been about, I don't know, late 50s, early 60s. You know, he's born in London during the, during the First World War, but he's, he's adopted this transatlantic accent
2: his father was African American and I think his mother was Russian Jewish Uh, because he does it very well it's not uh, sometimes you hear uh, British entertainers going for that voice maybe and it kind of breaking in places his always sounds fairly natural and it makes him again an interesting (laughs) link so I think come on ask me the question I think you've asked everybody the question about the musical acts.
1: All right. did you ever skip the music in the Goon Show?
2: Very, very rarely. And if I did, it was probably on the Max Geldre. Not that I don't like the harmonica, but I don't think his choice of material was quite as Catholic. Mm. But generally, no. Mm-hmm. And in fact, just recently, I bought a CD of Ray Ellington's rock and roll numbers.
1: You did, yes. There's
2: a compilation called That Rockin' and Rollin' Man. <laughs> And it's interesting, and I, I bought, bought some downloads as well. And there are a few of these where he does very convincing, like rock and roll, jump blues, that kind of thing. And will also do a goon bit. So, like, his version of The Green Door ends with him sort of doing an impression of William.
0: Yeah, mate, let me in, mate.
2: And there's, there's another where he, he does an Eccles voice. I can't remember which song it is, but at the end he goes, oh, "I'm having a good time."
1: <laughs> well, very often during his during his bit on the Goon Show, Milligan and Sellers would chip in. You know, the, yes. during the during the song.
2: So that makes him sort of an interesting. You you can you can you could put you could put this CD on in certain places. Maybe we'll just listen. Yeah, fine. Yeah, it's a, yeah it's some good. Good, easy listening, but you know, slightly rocking. And then suddenly notice that it's like, aha, there is British silliness underneath this all.
1: Yeah, Galdray when he turns up in the show, um, they're mean being to a, him, aren't they? Being a terrible actor, obviously. Um, he, right, there's a line that uh, he's described as. I think Seacomb describes him as a genuine. Genuine diner Dawes cast of a wrestler. Yes. Now, do you know what that means?
2: I wonder if that's a very specific reference. I was a, th- a thing just today um, on Twitter uh, talking about um, the television series The Informer and the theme tune for The Informer is also the theme tune of the Bishop in Monty Python.
0: Mm.
2: And the more I find the more I go back and watch old British television, the more the random bits of python turn out to be fairly specific references yeah Uh, on the show tj worthington mentioned like the opening titles of big breadwinner hog Mm -hmm. are comparable to the opening titles there's a bit where we just have the, the the character's face flicking from negative to positive yes and and on the show, that the bishop, it gets this massive wharf of recognition. I think not just like, oh my god, this is so random. Ah, right, okay, the right, it's the informer, and it looks a bit right. I know what's happening here. There might be there might be bits of the Goon Show that are not actually random references.
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's it's something that I, we've I've talked about this before. There's there's little lines that. Or references to, to people who were probably in the news at the time, in the gossip columns, and are now more or less forgotten.
2: I think it's um, at this point that we have to mention Sabrina. Has that maybe happened every episode so far?
1: I don't think we've mentioned Sabrina before. Oh, right. Go on.
2: So she was part of that whole blonde bombshell. Yes. With, and I think I became aware because Clive James showed the commercial she did for Australian television, and she's quite stilted. Uh, but uh, well, the reason that uh, the Goon Show makes fun of her is because she's chesty and blonde and mm. a bit, probably perceived as a bit dim.
1: It's Blue Bottle that tends to have the fixation on her.
2: Yeah, I I always thought Blue Bottle was about twelve. You think Blue Bottle's five?
1: No, I don't. No, no, no. No, oh, okay. I, I someone I think it was it Jake Sanson. Um, I think it was Jake okay. who, who thought. Now, I've, I've, I've sort of always thought of him as a, a kind of an indeterminate adolescent, or an adolescent of an indeterminate age, who's got this sort of burgeoning carnality, mm. um, but he's not quite there.
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, it's speaking of Blue Bottle, there's, there's that, there, there's that bit in it where Neddy keeps hitting him quite out of character. Mm. And then he hits blue bottle blue bottle challenges him over he gets hit again challenges him over that gets hit again then Eccles challenges then he gets hit and blue bottle says something like oh, but get out of here before you get killed and that that actually sounds like blue bottle coming out of character again going back to the um, so our friend Andrew uh, he'd been watching Mon- monkey business the Marks brothers still monkey business and there's that scene where Groucho is held at gunpoint by the gangster Alky Briggs. And I read a book where they said that the interesting thing about how this scene plays out is that even though he's got a gun, Alky Briggs cannot harm Groucho because Alky Briggs is not a gangster, Alki Briggs is a movie gangster. He can't kill somebody until they panic and go, no, no, I'm good, I'm good, Elkie. Don't don't do it, don't do it. Bang! And Groucho doesn't do that. Groucho just makes jokes. So the thing is, is that Groucho is in the film, but he knows he's in the film. And so there's a bit of that with Blue Bottle that it's like... (laughs) There's the Blue Bottle who... He's completely innocent and gets blown up, but there's a blue bottle behind that blue bottle who's just turning up because it's the Goon Show <laughs> and blue <laughs> bottles in the Goon Show.
1: Well, he often, regularly, often blue bottle talks about he's he's copied out his lines for that week, so, he's, yes. so it's like he's arrived at the Camden Theatre and Spike's given him a script or lent him a script, and he's he's copied down the bits that he has to speak. And then he performs yeah, them.
2: But it, it's interesting. This sort of things, Blue Bottle doesn't sound innocent in that. It's just like, boy, you get killed. So yes. Yeah. It's, it's like for the first time, Blue Bottle's got his scripting. Don't think of this. Don't think much of this week.
1: <laughs> yeah, he sounds in best. this episode. In this episode, he sounds a bit world weary in general. Yes, uh, there's quite a few. You meant you touched on it before. There's there's a few clunky edits, even because we listened to pretty much. I think the the the, the fullest episode. Yes. Available. Uh, I'm more familiar with the transcription services um, version, and there's a lot of there's quite a few sort of quite significant sort of clear edit points. Um, But even in the the version that we've listened to, there's a few bits that sound like when, when Blue Bottle turns up, it sounds like there's there's been something cut out. Don't know if you picked up on that.
2: Yes, and I guess we can only imagine.
1: For, for the longest time because there's a joke that Seagun tells in the middle of the show there's the there's this, this... <laughs> his,
2: his racist joke <laughs> yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> well because for the longest time I've been familiar with the version of Queen Anne's Reign where Bloodnock jumps in the water Seagun says while he's gone here's a joke and then next minute Bl- Bl- Bloodnock emerges from the water and and it's you know the, the the action carries on. And I always thought that's a weird when I first, you know, when I when I was listening yeah. to it, I was thinking that's a weird what they could have just cut out Seagoon saying, while well, he's gone, here's a joke. They could have just that's, said him.
2: that's just that that sounds like the B, you know, typical BBC doctrinaire thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Edit out this line, it, it's offensive overseas. <laughs> yeah that that yeah okay what well, you work to rule uh malicious compliance is it sometimes called
1: yeah and the, and the joke is is concerned a Scotsman and a and a, and a Jewish gentleman uh, and interestingly Seekin kind of tries to he, he tells a joke and then he he says you know if 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 a, any Scotsmen have been offended then you know uh, you can turn the joke around and and direct it towards the the jewish gentleman and any jewish gentleman offended you can turn it round against them you know on on the it's kind of like spike acknowledging some people might find some of his content offensive
2: yeah and the, again the it's it's let's call it an offensive joke regardless don't do not at tyler do not get involved right okay <laughs> we're, we're calling it an offensive joke because that's that's its role yes it's an offensive joke, but actually the whole thing is a joke about offensiveness. So really, it's just to hear you know, Neddy with flop sweat uh, backing off from his own joke. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, okay, it's, it's it's postmodern, Weird for the sake of weird.
1: Mm. Did you pick up on the Ooslen bird reference?
2: Yes. And so did the audience.
1: Yes. The, um... The bird that the legendary bird that will take off and fly around in circles and then sort of manage to somehow sort of fly up its own fundament and disappear yes. mm.
2: Do you want to mention my most disturbing <laughs> expression of my show fandom?
1: <laughs> one
2: Because I have recently tried to in Photoshop. Get get down what I th- what the characters look like in my mind. I've not been entirely successful, and I'm not sharing them uh, with anybody other than Tyler. Uh, but yeah, I I would I would really be fascinated to know what people think the characters look like.
1: What did you think of the Telly th- I
2: think it's I've never seen one all the way through.
1: No, it's, um, you've seen the carrot. You've seen yeah. the, no. the, the puppets. No,
2: no, 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 no. They're, they're, they're not really, especially Eccles. But then you see, Eccles is kind of fi- fixed in my mind uh, also by in the case of the Muckinese battle horn.
1: Oh, yeah, because he's wearing, uh, what's he wearing?
2: He's wearing like a flat a, cap and trench coat. So in, in my mind, Eccles is just Milligan, but about seven feet tall.
1: Well, it, yeah, because in Down Among the Zed Men, Milligan sort of sticks his, his front teeth out, doesn't he? Yes. Sort of, um,
2: yeah, well, you, you kind of think maybe that Eccles has a weak jaw. Mm. Um, like Mortimer Snurd. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: There's also, if if she's going to have a catchphrase, Mini Bannister, I think it's her catchphrase probably is, you know, we'll all be murdered in our beds.
2: Yes, and though that... I do like it might be a man of evil powers.
1: <laughs> at one point, Cron calls us again. I'm sure Sellers just <laughs> t-
2: t- improvise, just
1: Crun calls us saxophone men.
2: Yes, <laughs> uh, we do also get, um, at some point, we, we, we get a case of uh, Mariety,
1: do we? I didn't, do you know, I'm, there's a very brief bit,
2: but it's, it, I'm thinking sellers. Dude. Mm. <laughs> it is way too late <laughs> to be telling anybody to run it in. This <laughs> This whole show goes up to 11.
1: <laughs> Meantime, from the comparative safety of a long disused factory chimney, a French crag reviews his financial position. <laughs> and an <one> empty team. <coughs> and fishbone elegant. Why house brick for me down? Piece of
0: string. Hello. Oh. So, ah. you've been keeping these things from me, eh? Ow. Now,
2: put all that stuff in my name at once. I'm sorry, i Well then.
0: Sorry, i pie. Good I have my teeth back for Christmas.
2: Here is the pawn ticket.
0: Ah. You pawn my teeth?
2: You're a spine of a What? I challenge you to a jewel. Name your weapon. I'm lost.
1: I've always had this picture in my mind of Minnie Bannister as as being one of those older ladies in the 1950s who, on the one hand, was into rock and roll, <laughs> but on the other hand, one of those... Well, she does
2: a version of Green Door in one.
1: She does, yeah, she does. But but you know, with with the whole, we, we'll all be murdered in our beds. It, she's she's exhibiting that uh, paranoia and and fear that the you know the scandal sheets and sensationalist Sunday newspapers were coming out with yes. salacious stories of sex sex maniacs roaming the countryside. Yeah, you know, like the, the many herself talks about those sinful Sunday newspapers. I was just checking today, by the way. Uh, Because I was thinking, tabloids, what what were the sort of major tabloids in Britain in the 1950s? And I just wanted to check, because I knew that the news of the world was still a broadsheet back then. And I just checked, and it was sort with the Daily Mirror. But you know when you Google, and it gives you suggested questions, there's a little drop-down list, suggested questions. And one of the suggested questions was, were there newspapers in the 1950s? Because, you know, I mean, the wheel had only just been invented.
2: Anyone who's wondering, in my mind, Minnie Bannister kind of looks like the grandma from the Adams Family, but with huge eyes. And Henry Cron is like, <laughs> Wilfred Hyde White, but with really tiny eyes.
1: But <laughs> well, um, So, Henry Cron is a sort of stuck living in America for tax purposes.
2: Well, we know Minnie Bannister moved out to Smallville in Kansas. And she did. Became mm. a teacher.
1: mm <laughs> So, by the way, so so this uh, this episode uh, was broadcast on Monday, the 22nd of December, 1958, at 8.30pm on the home service. But how's this for an evening's entertainment? Because at eight o'clock on BBC television, that very evening, the uh, the first episode of Quater Mass in the Pit was screened. Ah, right. Yeah.
2: Which exists.
1: Right. Followed by Bilko. Right. Uh, so you've got Bilko on the telly or the goons on the wireless. Uh, which would you have gone for?
2: Well, you know, I'm, 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 I'm not Peter Sellers, but I do love gadgets. I do. Mm. Uh, if we, I just, I'm just at the moment trying to get that, this house to have its own server. Mm. <laughs>
0: right. Uh,
2: Because I think in the future that's going to be a thing. So I'm trying to get it out of the curve. So I think I'd probably have a tape recorder. Right. So I'd probably be able to record The Goons, watch Bill Coe, and then listen to The Goons later that night.
1: What did Monkhouse do in the late 50s? Did he have some sort of prototype recorder to record television back then? or? I Is don't know about later?
2: the I don't know about the fifties. He he definitely had some sort of television recorder in the sixties, and has captured things that don't exist anywhere else. Oh, yeah, I think captured things where there's nothing other than Monkhouse's recording to to let us know what.
1: Just quick, quick, just 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 on Quatermass in the Pit, it was only so so that went out the night that Queen Anne's reign was was broadcast. Six episodes later. Six episodes of The Goon Show later, uh, The Scarlet Capsule was
2: broadcast. Right. Yeah. It shows just how quickly Milligan could react to the zeitgeist.
1: He did. Absolutely. Till, I think we've kind of, you know, reached a point in the conversation where there's not a lot more to say. If we touched on the, the two podcasts that you're involved with now, do you want to just sort of give those a plug again?
2: Yeah, so um the sitcom club. If you go to sitcomclub.com, dot com, uh the, there's the sitcom club and Jaffa Cakes with Proust. Um or you could go to Podnos dot com in which has all the editions of, of those podcasts and also one called Jaffaville we did that was uh our excuse to do American things. Uh even links to Jaffa Cake Jukebox, which is the occasional music show. Oh yeah. That Gary and I do, uh, or that I might be doing some more solo, because Gary's not, not somebody who likes talking about music a great deal.
1: Yeah, G- G- Gary's not sure the 1960s should have happened. Well, like, yes, let alone let alone can, modern music.
2: Can I also mention though? It almost seems that that it doesn't need the help. Uh, a history of rock music in 500 songs. Mm. Uh, is is that 500 songs? That the numbers five zero zero com. yes yeah. it
1: is it's the numbers
2: uh but i mean that's been plugged on adrian child's radio five show it has been plugged in the guardian but i do have a co-production credit you do uh because i do the editing and occasionally i will take decisions like right that ending so much of a downer that i have a separate tragedy version it's called the tragedy version of the outro
1: mm. when
2: i feel the ending is too too down for to just go straight into the whoop rock and roll (laughs) ending that's Uh, that's that's why i've got to yeah Uh, and at one point it was the most downloaded music podcast in the uk on itunes
1: andrew's living the dream because he's he's uh he podcasting is now his paid job
2: and i get a little percentage for my work so if you help him you help me it's the only, it's the only positive case of trickle down economics. The richer Andrew gets, the richer I get, and I can do things like spend it on reproduction Batman props. Because <laughs> I bought, I bought the bust. Uh, it's it's made out of vinyl. It looks like bronze. But it's a bust of William Shakespeare, and the neck opens, so you <laughs> use a button to get to the Batcave. And I keep looking at it, and I keep waiting for the buyer's remorse to kick in, and it never does. I look at it, and I just smile.
1: Do you think you're going you're gonna to wake up one morning at two o'clock in a cold sweat going, what have I done?
2: No, I think I'm going to wake up in a in a cold sweat, look, and go, oh, it's still there. <laughs> I, I like it because, I mean, you know, I talk about pop culture and all that, but I think there's a little bit too much pop culture mm. in the world. Uh, i I like it because it's a pop cultural reference and a high cultural reference at the same time
1: good well listen till thank you so much um as thank always, you for
2: having it... me i I hope to come back sometime and we might talk about something that's more peripheral yeah you got any, ideas? any ideas any uh, ideas maybe I should go looking into uh, the work of Benteen. Because he interests me. The thing that really interests me about Michael Benteen in, in his Goon Show days is you see those like publicity stills and their hair's all wild and they all look And three of them could then slick their hair back. And he couldn't. It just stayed in this kind of <laughs> 1950s prototype afro. And he had the Van Dyke beard.
1: He ditched the beard when he did the Bumblies, didn't he?
2: Yeah, the Bumblies, he's still got the hair, but he hasn't got the beard. At, mm. s- at some point, he becomes completely respectable. Yes. And <laughs> uh, it's on the commentary track of The Sandwich Man. <laughs> I can't remember if it actually got players out this. So it goes, yeah, Michael Bentin yeah, he was, he was very right wing. He liked guns.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: and I have actually read an alternate history novel in which... There's a kind of proto uh right-wing authoritarian regime in the UK in the 1970s, and Benteen is an essential part of it. If we do this, don't worry. We're not just going to be, like, ragging on no. anybody who is not Walker's eye. But yes. uh, it's it's just interesting to know. He's, he's a fascinating figure.
1: Till, thanks. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Please put a bookmark in your podcatcher of choice to make sure that uh, you are always up to date with the very latest episodes. I'll be back next week. Uh, Until then, take care of yourselves, stay safe, and bye.